that moment hits, you don't freak. You say, oh, yeah, this is that moment I've been waiting for. I will batten down the hatches and make it through this because on the other side is where scarcity lies, is the other side is where it was worth the journey. If you're a person who's looking to have more purpose in your life, if you're saying to yourself, I don't want to just go to work, I want to do my life's work, this is the show. This is the show, Don't Keep Your Day Job. How do you figure out how to take your passion and turn it into a profit? Life is too short not to wake up every day excited. You've got something that you've got to share with the world. I'm positive. That's why you're here. The show will not just give you inspiration, but some real life tools that you can start to take some real action week after week so that you can not just go to work and build someone else's dream. You can do the thing that you've always truly wanted to do. Make yourself the happiest version of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so happy that you're here. 2018, this is going to be your year. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Skillshare is offering our listeners a limited time offer of two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash DreamJob. That's Skillshare.com slash DreamJob to get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. Act now for the special New Year's offer and start learning today. Thanks to Allbirds for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Allbirds makes stylish, comfortable shoes made from premium natural materials and sold direct online. Go to Allbirds.com and find your pair of light, breezy shoes like the Tree Runners only from Allbirds. Thanks to House Call Pro for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. If you're ready to get your service business organized and streamlined with your customers, go to housecallpro.com slash dreamjob. Tell them Don't Keep Your Day Job sent you and they will waive your $99 activation fee. That's housecallpro.com slash dreamjob. Thanks to eHarmony for supporting our podcast. Stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Right now, my listeners can get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription. Go to eHarmony.com and enter my code DREAMJOB at checkout. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. You are in for a treat. Seth Godin is here today and we are going to get right to it because he's amazing. And because he's so incredible, I decided on this episode to try something new. I'm going to do my usual thoughts, my sort of like intro. I'm going to give you some of those thoughts at the end of the episode and we're going to cut right to the interview. I just felt like he needed no introduction and I wanted to cut right to it. Um, So the only thing I do want to tell you really quick is that I'm going to be rolling out a free three-day challenge where I will be showing up in a private Facebook group to give you guys some instruction and some help and some exercises to do to help you advance your career, to help you advance this thing that you love and turn it from a hobby or a passion project into a scalable business. So if you want to be in the loop about when that's coming out and what that entails and all that stuff, you can go to don'tkeepyourdayjob.com and sign up to be in the loop or you can go to the show notes on iTunes and you can see there's a link there and you can sign up to find out and it'll be coming out soon. I can't wait to share this amazing chat with Seth, but first let's thank one of our sponsors. Our podcast is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an amazing online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business and marketing and entrepreneurship and technology and much more. Whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or build your own business, Skillshare will keep you learning in 2018 and beyond. I think it's amazing. It's like the Netflix of online learning. I, I just find that it's incredible what I can learn in 30 minutes or an hour or 15 minutes, whatever time I have. There's classes on street photography, social media strategy, animation. You guys 
are going to love it. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Two months of unlimited access to over 18,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash DreamJob. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash DreamJob to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash DreamJob. Guys, I, I can't believe how fortunate I am. Part of what makes this job so amazing, and by the way, it never feels like a job. It feels so incredibly special and fun, mostly because I get to work with great people and talk to listeners like you and meet so many people who want to make their lives better and are in the pursuit of more purpose and making the world amazing. And one of the highlights is that once in a while, the guests that we have on are people who I've admired for such a long time. And Seth Godin is here today, and he is such a human. He's so kind. He's such a whole person, and um, there's a word for that in Yiddish. It's called a mensch. He's a person who is just really present and kind and just has so much integrity, and um, I've always admired him. If you watch any of his TED Talks or read his books or read his blog, just listening to him speak is like watching a dancer. It's like watching someone paint. It's just... He's magical. And um, for those of you who don't know him, let me tell you a little bit about him. So he's the author of 18 books that have been bestsellers around the world. And um, he writes about uh, the post-industrial revolution, the way ideas spread, marketing, uh, quitting. He writes about leadership, most of all. He writes about changing everything. Uh, you might be familiar with some of his books, Tribes, The Dip, Purple Cow, Lynchpin. In addition to writing and speaking, he founded both um, Yo-Yo Dine and Squiddo. His blog is one of the most famous blogs in the world. If you just type Seth into Google, um, you'll find it. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's like Cher or Madonna. He's just Seth, and there it is. Uh, he was recently inducted into the Direct Marketing Hall of Fame. He's just uh, one of the coolest people around, and he's here today to delight us with his wisdom. So without further ado, let's bring on the delightful Seth Godin. What a pleasure to have you on the show. Hi, Seth Godin. Thanks for being here. Well, your energy has already elevated my day. Thank you for having me. That is so sweet. Of course you would say something like that. That's how you are. Um, you're such a a giant in the world of ideas and in the world of helping people to to start looking at things in a new way. And I have so many things I want to ask you. But before we get into it, I want you to just tell us for those people who haven't necessarily heard you, which I don't know how that's possible. But if they don't know your background, tell us a little bit about your journey and your story and how you got to be the fabulous human that you are. Well, you're being super kind, but first we need to address the fact that almost no one knows who I am, and that's fine mm, okay. with me. It's totally fine with me. Uh, I am a writer and a teacher and an entrepreneur. I've been doing those three things since I was 14 years old. Uh, I grew up in Buffalo and in Canada. Algonquin Park is where I started teaching canoeing. Uh, one of my students was a photographer named Jill Greenberg, who's sort of well-known now. And uh, I discovered that it's possible to help people stand a little taller and to do the work that they are proud of. And then when that happens, lots of things get better. And since those days, I've started a bunch of companies, most of which failed. Uh, I've written 18 bestsellers. I built an internet company that was sort of important, and I was lucky enough to sell it at the right time. And since uh, 2000, I've been an author, plus I run um, some online schools, one called the Alt MBA and the other one called the Marketing Seminar. That's all? That's all you could do with your time? Well, so actually, I write, a, you I write anything? a blog every day. It's one of the most popular in the world. <laughs> and uh, I have a new podcast called Akimbo. But most of the time, I'm just wasting time. 
You just are. You're so not productive, clearly. And um, you're amazing. And I love that when you said that when you realize that you could help people start doing the things that they're kind of lit up about, that things just get better. That's amazing. There's so many people listening to the show who have a passion project. Some people are really wanting to do like hand-lettered goods and some people want to bake and some people want to start a yoga studio. And it's scary. It's scary to start. It's scary to think that you're enough. What do you say to people when they have an idea? What do you say to people about how to turn that passion project into a into a full-time living? Well, uh, I think it makes sense to start with a whole bunch of cold water first, because if we can get through that part, then we can get to work. Uh, it will begin with this. If you would like to find a job where you have no boss, you will probably end up having a lousy boss, you, to do the work. And we have to be really <laughs> careful about deciding that when we're acting like the boss, like the CEO, like the head of marketing, like the project manager, that we're going to do it as right. a professional. And the fact that we love, the, that we have passion for the project itself is completely irrelevant. That when we're doing the professional work, we should do it like a professional. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that for most people, if you love a craft of any kind, you probably shouldn't do it for a living because you might end up hating the craft. And, mm. you know, most of the people I know who, for example, have gone into the music business, A, end up with a lousy job in the music business, standing near people who make music, not actually making music. Um, but mm -hmm. two is what it means to engage in the marketplace, to be able to transact with others, is that we need a radical amount of mm -hmm. empathy. Oh, my God. What a beautiful that, statement. Thank you. Uh, that we need to know that they don't know what we know. They don't want what we want. They don't need what we need. They don't believe what we believe. And they don't want to spend what we want to spend. So if all those things are true, it's really difficult to say to someone, no, I am right you must do it my way because this is my passion, buy it or leave. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm a huge fan of having a point of view and only doing work that you're proud of. But it comes at a very significant cost. And the cost is it's not easy to take that posture and grow a business, particularly if you're starting with no money. So yeah. with all of that said, I think it is possible to do work you love with clients that you respect. But the best way I know to do that is to begin with the posture of, I will love my clients and I will love my work, not the other way around. Yeah, that's beautiful. So you did start by saying that you, you love helping people do their, the things, the things that maybe they that light them up because then good things happen. So when you're saying, you know, like it's possible, you know, to, to figure this out, how How is that possible that we can be more fulfilled? Do you think that, because you said before something a little bit different, which was like, maybe don't do the thing you love because you might start to hate it. And yet people have something to give. Like, I feel like each person is put in this world right. with something. Right. So let, let's, let's break that apart because that's really important. So last week I went to pick something up uh, from a, uh, something I bought on eBay. And I went to this guy's apartment building. And as I entered the building, I met his doorman. His doorman did not want me to bring my hand truck into the building. So we had a short conversation and he loaned me the building's uh, cart. And then I went up to meet the guy who mm -hmm. sold me something. Now, the guy who's upstairs uh, 
had a way bigger income than the doorman. But the guy who was upstairs was cranky and a little bitter. And my two interactions with the doorman, on my way in and on my way out, were two of the best interactions I had all day long. He was positive. He was open for connection. He wanted to solve problems. He engaged. And I handed him a gratuity and I was happy to do so. And he was stunned and surprised that I did. Oh, that's so nice. But the thing about the distinction is this. It might be that he loves macrame, but macrame is not the only thing he loves. What he loves is people and engaging with people and solving problems and bringing kindness. Well, so he's doing what he loves. He's just not selling macrame for a living. And that's the distinction I'm trying to make. There's things you love other Mm. than hand lettering things. And so figure out what kind of interactions you want to have with what kind of people and build a business around that. And if it happens to involve your skill or passion project, that's fine. But don't interact with people you don't like in a way you don't like just so you can say that you're a macrame artist. Mm, I see what you're saying. That That's interesting. You're saying like on a more holistic level, like what's the true purpose of why you're here? What do you really love to do? And it doesn't necessarily have to be with that medium of that thing that people told you, oh yeah, you're good at writing or you're good at dance or you're good at whatever. So how do you figure out what that is? How do you press pause or get quiet? How do you, how do you get that self-awareness? Let's know begin with is? a specific example before I try to reverse engineer it. Uh, my friend Lynn, a talented, talented inventor and fabric designer, 25 years ago said, I want to sell toy companies on flexible, easy to carry, beautiful bags for new moms. Because I know how to design them. I know new moms want to buy them. I have a vision. This is my passion. And over the next nine months, every toy company in America was mean to her. And the reason is that toy companies don't like to buy ideas from outsiders. That's not how they're organized. And I said, hey, Lynn, the book business is great. Because in the book business, they don't have enough books to publish. And they never write their own books. They always buy them from outsiders. So maybe give up the fabric and make something else that a book publisher could publish that might work for the kind of audience you want to serve, that might match the kind of work you want to do. Well, her first time out of the gate, she sold something that sold more than 5 million copies via her publisher. Oh, my God. And wow, it established Lynn for the rest of her life. And so the question is, was Lynn born to work in fabric? I don't think so. I think that Once Lynn was able to reverse engineer a spot in the marketplace, she could get back to the work she wanted to do, which was to solve interesting problems using color and shape, right? And and so what we do if we're going to be a professional in business is we show up in a place where there is scarcity and we solve a problem in a way that people value. Those two things are important because if there's no scarcity, uh, then it's really hard to carve a spot for ourselves. So let's say you're really, really good at origami. Well, the problem is there's no demand for origami among the general public. And persuading people to pay you $10,000 for an origami swan that's the result of years of your effort isn't going to happen because it's (laughs) too much of an uphill battle. But if it turns out that 
you use origami as a problem-solving technique and that you've discovered that when your hands are busy with paper, your brain is freed up to be creative, well, maybe Mm. you could realize that every day in America, really expensive meetings take place with people sitting around a table wasting time and money trying to brainstorm stuff. And maybe if you became a facilitator of those meetings using origami as a tool to help people get tactile when they're trying to solve a problem that's not tactile, maybe you can make a living still engaging, but doing it in a totally different way. That is so genius. That makes so much sense. I love this example. And you just made this up on the spot, didn't you? I did, I'm afraid. (laughs) It's great. It's so great. So yeah, you're saying like, figure out how what you do might solve a problem. And that goes back to the radical empathy, I guess, right? Exactly. That if we understand that certain organizations have power, like Apple can force us to use emojis we think are stupid and buy a new phone by making (laughs) the old phone obsolete. But almost none of us have power, right? What we have is a voice. And if you can speak in a way that people want to listen to you, Mm. then you will gain their attention, which can earn you their trust. And if you gain attention and trust, you can tell a story. And if that story resonates, then people will come to you. And um, it may or may not revolve around that passion project. But my guess is the reason it's your passion project isn't that you were born to do it. It's just that you thought it was going to work. And your real passion is to do something that works. Wow, that's fascinating. So there's a lot of makers. We've done surveys of this wonderful, sweet, sweet, supportive audience. And, you know, we've had people say, but on this show, something not exactly like what you're saying, but people do say things like solve problems, you know, like figure out how to solve problems. But how does somebody who wants to be making pottery, like right away, they might think, well, this doesn't solve anybody's problem. Like, you know, it's just a beautiful thing. So how would I ever make it into a business? Like, there must be some reason why some of those makers do take off, right? How how does that work? And how can people, you know, feel encouraged if they feel like, no, this is really what I want to do? Okay, so now we're getting into a lot of the detail about what it means to do marketing. Marketing and advertising are not the same thing. In fact, they're hardly related now. Marketing is when we do something that tells a story that creates value that people want to engage in and when that story spreads. Now, a lot of the people that you mentioned and the crafts that they want to do um, involve doing work they want to do as opposed to doing work someone else wants them to do. So if someone's painting your house and they're a house painter, they're going to paint it the color you want on the day that you want. Mm -hmm. That is really different than selling an oil painting that you invented, painted on your own, and then one day someone wants to buy it, right? That's right. Okay. So you must begin by accepting that you cannot make a commodity. That if you're at a craft fair and there's a hundred people who make candles or mugs and your mugs are like their mugs, you're going to get the lowest possible price because that's what commodities are. Mm -hmm. My friend Abby Ryan wanted to paint the oil paintings she wanted to paint. And she understood that people buy oil paintings for a couple of reasons. One reason is because they're pretty, mm-hmm. but a lot of people can make a pretty oil painting. Yeah. Another reason, and the essential reason for most forms of decorative art, is because it's by a famous artist. 
yep. that when you buy a painting by a famous artist, you get to tell your friends what you did. Yeah, and right. tell, telling your friends that and telling yourself that is worth more than the painting it costs, more That's than the correct. painting costs. Right. So Abby Ryan says, how do I become famous? And how do I become famous in a way that's generous? So what she started doing was painting an oil painting every day and auctioning it off on eBay every day, one painting a day, 200 paintings a year, wow. day after day after day. And when she started, a painting would go for 50 or 100 bucks. And now they go for thousands of dollars and you can do wow. the math. And wow. then she was featured in Oprah Magazine, and then I wrote about her in one of my books. And now there's a waiting list to buy a painting by Abby Ryan because she's famous. Hmm. So the work was not to make her painting better. Her painting was already good enough, like lots of people's paintings are good enough. Yeah. What was missing was her story, hmm. and she found a story. Now, if you want to own your career, you can't copy somebody else's story. You can't say... Mm -hmm. I'm just like Abby Ryan, except I paint a painting every nine hours, not every 20. I mean, that's silly. That's not going to work. <laughs> right. That the opportunity is to say, famous to who? Who is this for? What change am I seeking to make? These people, these people I seek to change, who I seek to touch, who I seek to have uh, resonance with, what story do they tell themselves? And when you put all of those pieces together, that's where... For example, Bobby Brown comes from. I would yep. bet that in, uh, you can't do a blind test for cosmetics, but in an unpackaged test, most people who buy Bobby Brown stuff could not tell it apart from stuff that's just like Bobby Brown stuff. Correct. But So they're paying extra because she made it. Well, who is she? Well, we know she's yeah. not Charles Revson. And we, she know, we know she's not <laughs> Keels. She's Bobby Brown. Right. And Bobby Brown has a story. And... You know, Chelsea at um, Sugar Paper has built a story. She's down the street from you in L.A. And yeah. she, like many people, bought a letterpress printing machine or whatever you call them, a letterpress. But she uses it differently. And she brings her taste to it differently. And she goes to market differently. And this is the lonely journey. It's the lonely journey of the original marketer who says, no one's doing what I do. But I can see which people will want what I do. I'm going to assert that when they engage with me in this way on this day, they will hear my story and some of them will miss it if it's not present. Some of them it will resonate with. And those steps are unknown, but they can be explored. What I can tell you is uh. if you skip them and just say, where is the easiest place to sell what I make? Then you have decided to be a commodity. Hmm. I love what you're saying. I, I feel like this is like such the age old um, issue. A lot of artists and a lot of people in general, it's like, you know, when I started out as a songwriter, I, I was writing music and I got dropped from a record label. And then eventually I started writing music for film and TV and ads. And people would say, you're making songs that McDonald's wants. Like, ugh, that's such a sellout. But I was actually making a living because I was thinking about how to solve a problem for this ad agency and what music would actually work. And it, it did work. And I, that was like sort of the way I got in. And a lot of artists have a hard time with that. They're like, if I'm not making something that's just inspired in the moment for my own, like sort of like self-expression, I don't want to do it. But what you're saying is that at the heart of it, there has to be a tremendous amount of understanding and empathy for who you're making this for. And we, we need to sort of get that if we're not going to 
really want to know what that's about and make something that other people find fascinating and, and interesting that they need also, not just that we think is beautiful, um, then we're going to lose. And you're now saying that y- you have to have a story. It's not enough to just be like, I made this beautiful thing. Will somebody come and find it? You're going to have to find a way to to turn that into a story. But it's not fair. And I've never said it's fair. It's just true. What do you mean it's not fair? Well... I mean, it seems fair to me. It's just harder. Well, it's it. the reason it's not, quote, fair is along the way, we've been taught that the purpose of culture is to enable capitalism. When, in fact, I believe oh, the purpose yeah. of capitalism is to enable culture. And mm. we live in an economy based on scarcity. And one of the things that's scarce is attention. And there's a lot of people yelling. And there are a lot of people looking for shortcuts. You know, it's interesting if you talk to a professional wedding photographer, they will quickly get to the point where they complain about people who don't hire a professional wedding photographer and insist on just having their friends take pictures at their wedding. And then you say to Mm -hmm. that professional photographer, I noticed that your website's sort of nice. Who wrote all the copy? And they say, well, I did. And you say, well, why didn't you hire a professional copywriter? And so... Right. The empathy tends to go right. in only one direction, that with our That's with our own dollars and with our own attention, we tend to be sort of selfish and say, what do I need and what do I want? Not who spent a lot of time getting good at this and who spent a lot of time making something that I should go find. And that's what your market is saying. And it's not fair in the sense that I wish we used our surplus as a culture to enable talented, driven people who have magical skills to just use them without having to say, oh, now I have to go be a marketer. But you do. And so if you care about your work, be a professional and play by the rules that commerce has put in place, which is if you want to grow and touch more people, you have to do it realizing that people have a choice and they're probably not going to pick you. So we have a lot more to talk about before we keep going. We'll take a quick ad break and then we'll be right back. Thanks to Allbirds for supporting our podcast. Allbirds makes stylish, comfortable shoes like the Tree Runners made from ethically sourced eucalyptus tree fibers and sold direct online. Allbirds is on a mission to prove that comfort, style, and sustainability can all coexist in one pair of shoes. They're all well-designed, no unnecessary logos, just a simple, comfortable shoe that's light and breezy, offering cooling comfort. Allbirds shoes are also super versatile and they're made sustainably without compromising on quality. Their tree fiber requires 95% less water to produce than tree traditional footwear materials and it's sourced from certified sustainable forests so you can buy a great pair of shoes and support a great cause. I love my wool runners. When I put them on, I feel like I'm wearing house slippers, except I'm wearing them outside when I'm going to lunch or I'm running errands. So it's super comfortable. They're awesome. And I'm thinking for the summer, I might get their tree runners because those sound super cool. Allbirds shoes prove that comfort, style, and sustainability don't have to be mutually exclusive. Go to allbirds.com and find your pair of light, breezy, comfy shoes made from trees. That's allbirds.com and find a pair of tree runners just right for you. So let's say people are listening right now and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, my heart is in my stomach because I really, really want to do this thing and I have to find a story and I don't have Abby Ryan's story and I don't know what my story is. How do you teach people how to find a story? Like where do, what what does that mean? Do we take ourselves on artist days? Do we start doing meditation? Do we get quiet? Do we just read a bunch of books? Do we um, brainstorm different ways of coming up with like 
content that we can create? Like, what is it that will lead us to figuring that out? Because a lot of people are, are makers, but they're not marketers, right? But they have something really cool to sell. And they have something, let's say, that's already been validated that people do want. People have given them the feedback that, yeah, I do like those that ceramic bowl that you made. I, I want it. You know, like maybe they've gotten that. So how can we figure out, you know, how to tell our story? Well, it's a really simple answer. But first, I want to uh, challenge one thing. Of course, they're marketers. In order to make a beautiful ceramic bowl, you must know enough to tell a story with your fingers and your glaze and your kiln that when someone else sees it, they say, that was made for me. I need to own it. That's marketing. You didn't just say, oh, yeah. it will hold your spaghetti without leaking. That's, engi that's engineering, <laughs> right? M marketing is, right, right. you will think this is beautiful. Because not everyone will think it's beautiful, but some people will, and that was a marketing choice. So this, this, yeah. the next step is very straightforward, but it is not easy. And it is, you need to tell bad stories relentlessly until they get better. You cannot plan this. You cannot sketch this out. You cannot make it safe. It will be in the world and you'll do things that don't work until you do something that does work. And the reason that people get stuck isn't because they don't know what to do. It's because they're afraid. And we need to accept the fact that we are afraid. We cannot make the fear go away. I am afraid every time I'm doing important work. So is, you know, name your favorite playwright. So is everybody. Everybody. And Everybody. so if you want that fear to go away and get a guarantee, it's never going to happen unless the king of Spain anoints you and says you can work, you know, in the castle all day. For everybody else, what you're going to need to do is dance with the fear, is acknowledge that the fear is present and use it as a compass, a compass that says, oh, mm. maybe if I tell this person this story in this way, it will make their eyes light up. Or maybe they'll hang up on me. I don't know. Let's find out. Right. That is so beautiful. I love it. I mean, you just like called it like it is. Like, don't don't wait to overcome it. It's not going to go away. You got to learn to dance with it. And it really is cool to hear you say that because you're somebody who I would think, oh, he's so beyond the fear. He doesn't ever feel uncomfortable. And to hear you saying that really shows that to be successful, it's not about not having fear. It's like you just have the ability to be, you tolerate things. You tolerate that and you have courage. You're tolerating being uncomfortable a lot, which it doesn't appear that way. It appears like you're just not scared. Practice, practice, practice. You know, inside, inside the marketing seminar, <laughs> what we do is we have... Uh, 50 uh, lectures and then conversations about them in a discussion board. And the people who are in it aren't confident, fancy, rich marketers. They're people like the people who are listening to this, who either you know are professional photographers or trying to make a living as a massage therapist or have a small business. Yeah. And what we see is here's this private discussion board where the cost of being wrong is zero. And still, it takes people weeks to get into the habit of typing mm. up their take on something. Wow. Because this runs yeah. so deep. And one of the places it runs deep is pricing. That what, mm, what so people true. who have oh a passion God. do is they think they will get more chances to engage with the market if they lower their price. 
I'm so glad you're saying this. Uh, yes. Right? Yes. You know, because in the back of their head, they're saying, well, I would never pay this much money for this. Yeah. Well, okay, fine. But it's not for you. You're the person who made it, but you're not the person who's going to buy it. And yeah. one of the exercises we go through is if you had to charge 10 times more for what you do than you do now, what would you do differently? Mm. And the answer that almost everyone brings at the beginning is I would make it better. I would go to more art classes. I would use a better quality wood. I would spend more time doing X, Y, or Z. Right. And that's never the right answer, ever. The right answer is I would help my customer feel better about her choice. Mm. That's the right answer. And so the question is, what would help your customer feel better about their choice? In Abby Ryan's case, it was, I'd be more famous. Right, right. Right? Or if it's a veterinarian, it might be, they don't have to come to my office, I'll go to their house. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can go down this long list of things that human beings want, but what they don't want is for you to make a better oil painting. Ah, oh, God, this makes so much sense. I feel like you just, you're hitting at the root of all of it. It's like you're seeing right now inside the matrix what you're saying, because the thing that's really holding everybody back is this, this like self-doubt of, uh, I have to apologize or I'm not worthy of this price or who am I to put up my blog? There's already thousands of them, including Seth Godin's blog, or who am I to even start this thing? Or why is this good at all? And this is why most people are building other people's dreams. How do we get to the root of this? How can we even possibly stand up and take our seat at the table when really, you know, there's this inner dialogue that's just like, you're a big imposter. What are you doing here? We begin by misvisualizing the table, by believing that we need the largest possible market, that we need to have our paintings hung just down the hall from Da Vinci, right. that we need to <laughs> right. be represented by Christie's, and yeah. that we need every Hollywood agent to admire us, and that we need to be in the Vanity Fair issue, and that we need to go public. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? that's a lot, yeah. And... There's a reason that we've been brainwashed into largest possible market, because that's what investors want, and it's what well-meaning friends think we want. The solution is really simple, again, but difficult, which is embrace the smallest possible market. Oh, I love this. Now, by possible, I mean the smallest market you can live with, not a market of one, the smallest market you can live with. So you don't have to be a famous painter in America. You could be a famous painter in Santa Barbara. You don't have to be the busiest, most expensive massage therapist in Aspen. You could merely have 25 clients who keep you booked all week long. That's right. That would be the smallest viable market. So if you only need 25 regular clients, what would you have to do to be the massage therapist of choice for those 25 people. Oh, yeah. What edge would you need to go to? What would you need to stand for? Because for most people who work at home and have a passion project, you don't need more than 25 clients. So true. So, so true. don't worry about how many people read my blog. Just worry about getting to the point where there's 20 people who would miss your blog if you didn't write it tomorrow. God, nobody says this. It's so true. You don't need to try to be Beyonce. There's so much in between where you are and that. And not everybody's even supposed to do that. 
and there's a place. And a lot of people say to me, but you know, it's all so saturated, you know, and, and, and so you're saying, and you said it before, it sounds like what you're saying is you're going to have to dance with the fear. You're going to have to put it out there. And if you're about to start, what would you say is one of the most important things to, to have in mind as you're starting this thing? You're start, you're okay, fine. I'm going to dance with the fear and I'm going to work on figuring out my story. I'm going to do stuff. I'm going to get messy. And, and what's, what's something that I really should have in mind to, to make sure that I turn this into something that's going to be thriving and sustainable? Well, I can't say one. I'll say a few. First Good. of Yay. all, getting out of about to start is the first job. Ooh. Just start. Nice. Merely start. You don't have a permanent record that you have to worry about. That if you look at the original work of Jackson Pollock or the original work of Richard Serra or the original work of Jeff Koons, it was lousy. Lousy, lousy, lousy. That it is doesn't, crazy. You have to be lousy first. Oh, I love so this. Stop yes. planning. That's number one. Okay. Number two, I wrote a book about quitting called The Dip. And what that book says is it's easy to start and most people quit at the same moment. They start the gym in January. They quit in February. They start pre-med, but they quit at organic chemistry. You need to know where the quit point is because people have come before you. See where it is. And before you begin, acknowledge that that's the quit point and make sure you have enough resources to not quit then. It's okay to quit by not starting. It's okay to quit after you've made it through the quit point. But to quit in the dip, to quit in the moment when everyone else is quitting, is just wasting your time. It's predictable. You don't need to do that. Okay. And so there is a journey to get from here to a published novel or to get from here to uh, a successful career as a craftsperson. Figure out where that moment is when most of the people give up. Make sure you've laid in enough resources that when that moment hits, you don't freak. You say, oh, yeah, this is that moment I've been waiting for. I will batten down the hatches and make it through this because wow. on the other side is where scarcity lies, is the other side is where it was worth the journey. Hmm. The third thing I would say is along the way, you need to realize that money is nothing but a story. It is a story we tell ourselves about what we have and what we can get about value and about transactions. And if the story you are telling yourself about money is getting in the way of you making the impact you want to make, you're going to have to change the story because the world isn't going to change. Mm. You know, I've been an entrepreneur and I've been a freelancer. And the biggest difference is entrepreneurs use money to grow and freelancers use effort to grow. And I was really uncomfortable using money to grow that spending money on a trade show booth or spending money on a PR firm was painful for me because I was treating that money the same way I would treat money at a restaurant. I wasn't going to buy a $200 bottle of wine. So what business do I have paying someone $200 an hour to give me PR advice? Yeah. But they're not the same. They're just stories and we get to pick which story we're going to use. And, and a, a visceral example here, you can't be a heart surgeon if you're going to quit the first time someone dies on you, right? Mm. And that yeah. what we have to understand if we're going to be a heart surgeon is that there's a price to be paid for saving people's lives. And one of the prices that we pay is sometimes people don't get their lives saved. And the same thing can be true about the way we engage with money, that sometimes you're going to spend money on something and it's not going to work. But if you want to be in business, it's part of the deal. Yeah. You know, this whole idea of like your ikigai, 
it's like this idea that you have this thing that you love to do that you're good at. Yeah. And then where that all intersects with like yeah. what the world needs, what you're good at, and what you love. Right. Do you agree with that? Well, Liz Gilbert has a fantastic riff about this that I was about to steal. So thank you for teeing it up. Look at that. Liz has pointed out that there's a really big difference between having a job and having uh, a vocation or a passion. That it is totally okay for an artist to have a job. And the purpose of your job is to get paid. The purpose of your job is to do work that you're not ashamed of, where you can happily spend time in exchange for money. And then you can spend that money to live a life where you do the thing you love or your vocation or your passion. Mm -hmm. Until 100 years ago, no poets got paid no uh, musicians got paid. None. It was unheard of. To That's like, if, if it was eighteen fifty, that was something you did because you loved it. The Van Morrison hadn't been invented yet. Right, 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 right. And so it would be really great if you were lucky like me. I am so fortunate that my job, my passion, and my vocation are the same thing. But one of the reasons they're the same thing is because I decided that that thing I was going to do all day for money, I would also be passionate about, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. This has been so awesome, but we need to thank a couple more sponsors and then we'll get right back to the interview. Thanks to House Call Pro for supporting our podcast. So let me tell you about House Call Pro. I have a friend who has a service-based business and it's really hard for her to keep track of invoices and stuff. And I remember that when she finally started using House Call Pro, she told me that it just made things easier. She was able to send invoices. She was able to keep track of things. And she realized that she had been losing some money because there were things that she forgot to bill for. And House Call Pro kept that going and kept it working smoothly. House Call Pro is designed for any service business. It's an easy to use app that organizes your business and saves you time so you have more freedom to do the things you love. It's voted the number one software to run your business on the go. And here's what House Call Pro can do for you. Scheduling and dispatching, send customers SMS updates through their entire process, payment processing, and much more. If you're ready to get your service business organized and streamlined with your customers, go to housecallpro.com slash dreamjob. Tell them don't keep your day job sent you and they'll waive your $99 activation fee. That's housecallpro.com slash dreamjob. This episode is brought to you by eHarmony. So I have a few friends who have met and found their soulmates on eHarmony and I've been to those weddings and the people I know who've met their guy or their girl on eHarmony just feel like right from the start it was different. The matches that they were being sent felt like they were really in line with things about their personality that were really intrinsic to who they really are and what they really want out of life. So I really recommend it. eHarmony is built to help you find lasting, meaningful relationships, not a shallow hookup site. eHarmony takes steps that other dating sites don't in order to find you a more compatible match. And so far they've helped over a million people find their perfect match. So stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love and it's eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started. Right now, my listeners can get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription. Enter my code DREAMJOB at checkout. eHarmony.com and code DREAMJOB. So... There's so many things I want to get to, but we don't have you forever and you've been so generous. And I want to talk about your new podcast because, hey, we're talking to podcast listeners. So why did you start Akimbo? What was it about this? And and tell us, tell us the what and the why. 
Well, the origin story isn't that interesting, so I'll skip over it, and I will say that the okay the, the goal was to honor all of the podcasts and audio books that have made a huge impact on my life, from 99% wow. Invisible to Patti Smith reading Just Kids, which is the best audio book ever. Um, and I have spent a lot of time listening, and I love doing it. I knew that I didn't have the patience to artfully craft a highly produced NPR-style drama that was super shiny. But I also knew that I write like I talk, and I talk like I write, and if I could bring my blog to life in audio, somebody might appreciate it. So it doesn't have any fancy production. At the end, I answer questions that people have submitted to me based on the previous week's show, and it's like the conversation we just had now, except it's focused on one idea at a time, and it's called Akimbo, because the posture of Wonder Woman, hands on hips, staring down right, right. the enemy is important to me. And that honoring and celebrating powerful people who care to do the work they're proud of, that's what I'm for. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, I listened to um, a few of the episodes and the most recent episode on Hitsville is like why certain things stand out. So what do you think is the reason things stand out from things that don't? Uh, something has to. That isn't just a glib answer. That's the actual truth. Something needs to be a hit because we need hits. And the reason we need hits is because people want to do what other people are doing. And every bestseller pretty much is a surprise bestseller. If you look at the billboard charts where one week it's rap and the next week it's Paul McCartney, or if you look at books and it's a self-published book about the Martian or a self-published book followed by a mainstream published book, it's all over. And the reason it's all over is we don't know how to make a hit. All we know is there's going to be a hit and it might be you. That's cool. That's interesting. One of my favorite things that you talked about in this new podcast, uh, there was an episode you did that you titled, I See You. And I always feel that way, that it is what everybody truly wants is like to be seen, to be understood. And what's fascinating is like every time I do an interview with somebody, when, we, when we're done, whether the person is, you know, a billionaire or just a person who has an honest living owning a bakery, everybody says at the end, like, was it good? Did you, did you get it? Did you hear me? Like, did it come through? I'm like, yeah, it was great. You know? And so it is like the universal thing. Everybody's like really seeking, like, I want to be seen. What was your sort of, um, mission in putting out that episode? Why, why did you want to talk about that? Why is it so important to you? What do you think that your audience was needing to hear in that episode? I made the podcast so I could do two episodes that episode and the episode about status roles. I think the episode about status roles helps people understand so much about the world. And the episode that you're talking about, about Soabona, is my narrative about what the world truly needs. And I got to tell you, I've done a bunch of podcasts, but it's hard for me to think of an interviewer who has worked harder to see me and to see my work than you have. And I think that's why you're so good at this. Oh my God, you you literally just made me cry tears from my eyes. Um, that means really, that means a lot to me. Thank you for that. Well, thank that's you. really nice. You really are generous. But tell me, for people who haven't heard that episode yet, 
What leads you there to know that people need to be seen and, and how do we make them feel seen? Well, the MBA in me has an easy answer, which is in, <laughs> in the last hundred years, we've invented way more stuff than ever before. There, there are fewer people uh, as a percentage in dire poverty than ever before. And yet there's more alienation and loneliness than ever before. So mm. we may have been solving the wrong problem. That feeling unseen, unheard, disconnected, it's a very difficult thing to solve. And we're yeah. not going to make it go away if we ignore it. As somebody who grew up with great parents and has a wonderful family, I also get to see close up what happens when that's not true and what happens when we cause ourselves our own suffering because of the disconnect between what we want the world to be and what it is. And there's so many ways that we could change our own narrative about how we treat ourselves and how we treat other people, but we don't spend enough time on it. And there isn't even a section of the bookstore for it or a section of the podcast world for it. And I felt like devoting 20 minutes to sharing how I see it was a small price to pay to put it on some people's radar. It's so good. Everything you're saying, yeah, you got to give us a little, just a little peek into that. What do you mean? How do we change that narrative? Well, let's let's talk about this craftsperson, the, the idolized view, version of this listener. You know, one of the reasons we want to do our passion project is because we like to do that work. But the bigger reason is we want people to see us for who we are and who we want to be. That yep, if someone sees our work and loves it, they are loving us. But you know what's missing? What's missing is all of that doesn't help us see the other person. And when times get tough or thin or difficult, it's so easy to go back to how we're not seen and how people aren't respecting us or giving us a chance to do our thing. But all the people around us feel the same way. So we can solve the problem by feeling more injustice, or we could solve the problem by actively seeing other people. And if we begin to see other people and being able to go to them and say, here, I made this, I made this for you, it's about you, then we've built one more bridge. And over time, those bridges mm. form a lattice, and over time, that lattice forms a culture. So the happiest cultures are cultures where people are actively working to see each other, and the most unhappy ones are where people are actively working to be seen. And that doesn't scale, and it doesn't make us happy. It's so simple, but it's the most, it's the most extraordinary thing I've ever heard anyone say. That I've, I've never heard anyone say this before, and I've... I've traveled. I've, I've, I'm, I'm like a real big truth seeker, you know. So I've spent like uh, spent a lot of time like in uh, meditation rooms. I spent two years living in Jerusalem, looking for answers. What you just said is uh, it's kind of all it is. Um, we have to let you go because you you have a lot to do. You're a busy soul. It was so. It was like a dance, like listening to you speak. It's like uh, can we do it again sometime? I would love it. Have me you're... back. I would like that very much. So tell us where we can find you. Uh, the Marketing Seminar is at themarketingseminar.com, and it starts in a couple of weeks. AltMBA is at altmba.com, and if you want to read my blog, just type Seth into Google. Can you believe that that's the thing? 
I think you've I think you've arrived at some at some place. That's a place to be. Um, you're the best, and I uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody is feeling that and feeling a little taller because you were here. Well, then so it thank was you. worth it. Thank you for the work you do, showing up week after week. Thanks, Seth. All right, we'll let you go. Thank you. Cheers. Oh my goodness, what a treat to get to sit with you, Seth Godin. You're so smart and kind, and it's just like eye-opening to hear your perspective on life. So here are some takeaways. Number one, we need a radical amount of empathy to transact with others and engage in the marketplace. Number two, don't interact with people in a way you don't like just to say you're a macrame artist. Number three, show up in a place where there's scarcity and solve a problem that is valuable to others. Number four, to own your career, you can't copy someone else's story. Number five, ask yourself, who is this for? What change am I seeking to make? And for the people I want to change, what story do they tell themselves? Number six, tell bad stories relentlessly until they become better. Number seven, dance with the fear. Use it as a compass to find out how people react. Number eight, customers don't want a better oil painting from you. They want to feel good about their purchase. Number nine, embrace the smallest viable market. You don't need to be the most famous or most expensive business to be a success. Number 10, get out of about to start mode. Merely start. Number 11, don't quit in the dip. And number 12, we all want to be seen, but the best way to solve problems and create happiness is to see the people around you. So many of the things that he said just now were just so unusually inspiring, you know, like the way he looks at the world, it's, it's amazing. And I can't believe that he said that whole thing about how the thing that really matters is just making people feel seen. I mean, it's so simple, but it shows why he is so special because he gets it. He really gets it. And if that's true, if that's what business is really, really about, if that's what ultimately helps something to grow, radical empathy, seeing other people, understanding the needs of other people, that makes so much sense. And I do agree with what he's saying, that we live in a world where with all this technology, we've been answering this question, which we're, we're hoping to advance things. But on some level, people are feeling more lonely like there's all these like quote unquote friends and connections but there isn't as much deep connection as there used to be and and there's so much shame around what's really going on and I've talked about this before and so you know you can't really see each other when you're not posting what's even real about you you know it's like everyone's wearing some mask um I wanted to comment on this because I think it's really important I love the fact that he was here today for a myriad of, of, of reasons. And one of them is just because I love being able to show the world, you know, more people like this. Like, not not to say I'm the one who's showing the world Seth Godin. He's definitely out there and a lot of people know who he is. But that I can shine a light week after week on good people and on people who are making amazing things happen I want to paint a new picture. I want to suggest something different. When I was growing up, I I was surrounded by people who told me that the glass was half half empty, but also like, what are you, crazy? You're going to pursue that? That doesn't happen for people like you. That only happens for a small group of lucky people. And by the way, those lucky people, they're miserable or they have to sacrifice so much or guess what? They're never really happy or they wind up, you know, having some addiction like The world that was painted for me was so bleak and so negative, and it's so easy to see the world that way if you listen to certain people or if you focus on certain things. But the truth is that we live in the world that we choose to live in based on how we perceive it. And the way that we perceive it then absolutely dictates what our reality becomes. Like if you're walking around thinking things like, 
money is the root of all evil or people who have money are greedy, then it's true. Like you're not going to have such an easy time making money because there's a part of you that deeply believes that if you have it, then there's something that that is mean about you or selfish about you. And there there's other beliefs. People walk around and they, they say things like, you know, everyone's out for themselves. And other people say things like, you know, I'm just not lucky or nothing works out for me. And so then if they miss the bus, they say, you see, nothing works out for me, as opposed to, no, I was just late for the bus. Or, you know, something happens and you can have evidence, no matter what you say, you can find the evidence that you're right. That's what I'm saying. And so if you start saying things like, things do work out, things are possible. Week after week, I listen to Kathy's show and there's people who they went for what they wanted. They must have had some level of optimism. They must have had some belief that it would it would maybe work out or else why would they take those actions? And I think at the end of the day that there is a correlation between grit and perseverance and really getting up and showing up and optimism. Like they have to go together. And, and the cool thing is you can cultivate that optimism. You can start to change that wiring. You just have to be willing to look at those beliefs. And it's like cleaning out a closet. And sometimes it's stressful just to take things out of the closet. You have to look at everything. And then you have to kind of like be sitting with it for a minute before you sort it out and decide what you want to keep and what you're going to throw out. But this is really the important work that has to get done. We have to be willing to look at what are the things we're carrying around? And then maybe you can write a set of new mantras for yourself and think about people on this show and what I get out of it. And this is just like one of the lucky like benefits. Like there's so many amazing benefits that come from chasing your dreams and following your bliss and you, you grow from it and you, you, you become like, you know, better and you, you, you do get to do lots of fun things and surround yourself with cool people and, and make money that you never dreamed you could make. And you get to be generous and have people over and take people on trips and, and pay for your friends lunches and not have to think about it. Like there's lots of different, you know, ripple effects and, and benefits. But one of the most amazing benefits for me of doing this podcast and of, of living in the, the life that I live now, which is so different from how I grew up. One of the benefits is that I'm always around people who see the glass as half full, who see the world as magical and magnetic and incredible. And I know that it's so easy to be around people who say like, oh God, the world, it's the worst today. You should see how it is with the internet and this and that, and people are so divided. And that's definitely one way to look at it. And if you look at it that way, I'm sure you can have, you know, right away, your mind will give you evidence of 15 reasons why that's true. But I look at it the opposite way. I'm like, God, look look at this. It's amazing how many people are, are coming together and connected and how we're like all, you know, everything's a local call now and how how we how we have these opportunities we never would have had generations ago. It is so much easier to be an entrepreneur today, you know, to start reaching out to people, to putting things on Instagram, to starting a podcast. It's it's incredible the the level in which people are looking at their their stuff and the self-awareness that's going on and the meditation that's going on and the if you look at the the books that are out today anything that has to do with self-improvement that wasn't happening years and years ago so it, you can find evidence for whatever you want and so I wake up thinking like god the world is filled with incredible people and the world is is filled with possibility and so I think that we have to really look at this because I absolutely believe that this is the crux of what it means to to level up. Like you've got to look at the way you perceive things and you've got to decide once and for all, like to, to choose the things that you're going to believe because that will dictate 
what you do about it. So I wanted to say that. I hope that this show just reminds you to be hopeful. There's so many people who are feeling hopeless. There's no reason for it. There's so many incredible, delicious people who are going to be there to support you. One of the other benefits that I find from doing this show is I get to meet thousands and thousands and thousands of strangers, and they're amazing. You're amazing. I, I connect with so many of you on Instagram and on email, and I'm just blown away by the depth and the smarts and the kindness. It's it's all wow. You know, the world is made up of so much from mountains and oceans and skyscrapers and cities and scrumptious souls and, and the ways in which we can help each other and and advance each other's worlds and lives by by showing up and you're all enough. That's another belief. Like you're enough. You don't have to earn it. You're loved. You're good. It's all good. So I hope that week after week I can continue to get this message across because this is one of the most important things that I want to share with you is that I want you to see the world through these glasses that I see the world through. And I want you to surround yourself with people who see what's possible and who see how special everything is. Because when you have that certainty and that belief of what is and how good it can be and what's what's around the corner, then you will get up and you will do the work because you'll believe that something good might come from it as opposed to like, oh, what's the point? Why even bother? No. There are people who are waiting for you to put your thing out in the world because they're going to be better off because you did. And I guarantee you that you're going to be pleasantly surprised. So be open to it all being even better than you even dreamed it could be. All right. Well, I'm going to be popping into the Don't Keep Your Job Facebook group this week. I'll be showing up on Instagram doing Insta stories. You can follow me on Instagram at Kathy.Heller, C-A-T-H-Y dot H-E-L-L-E-R. And I will be doing this three-day challenge. I'll be giving you guys exercises and fun stuff to chew on and we'll be talking and I'll be showing up every day for these few days. So if you want to get in the loop about this free challenge, then go to don'tkeepyourdayjob.com and sign up or go to the show notes on iTunes and sign up. If you love this episode, if you loved any of these episodes, please share the episodes with your friends, post about on Instagram, tag me in the story. I will give you a shout out and leave us an iTunes review. It absolutely helps so much. It might take like two minutes but it will absolutely help us and it will it will help us keep doing what we're doing. I love you and I'll talk to you guys next week. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. When your car won't start, when you broke your heart, the lights all turn to red. When you pay the cost, when your dream gets lost, spinning circles in your head. What do you say? Do you call it?